Well, it is good to see you today. Um, I want to welcome you, uh, all of you who are joining us from all different locations today. We are uh, so grateful that we could be together, spend some time in this moment, but I am just especially glad uh, to be back. Been away for a couple of weeks. Um, our family just deciding to see a little territory of this uh, incredible land that we've never seen before. Normally when we get away, we'll, we may go a long distance. We, we go and we kind of plop and we sit somewhere. Um, when I rolled in last night, my truck said that I had driven over 4,300 miles since I saw you last to get to places where the only thing that your phone is good for is a camera. That's it. Certainly no Wi-Fi, but some places where God has designed some most remarkable masterpieces of creation. So just spending a few days um, taking that kind of stuff in. I want to say real quick, I so appreciate Peter uh, over the last couple of weeks uh, stirring up, cooking up, serving up God's word to you. We appreciate him so much in doing that. I'm excited to share with you today. Acts chapter 8 is where we are in the story. Acts chapter 8. Um, I, I want to encourage you, if you are new to maybe church, maybe exploring this whole thing about uh, who Jesus is, I want to encourage you to get a Bible. All right? We need to say that every once in a while. I want to encourage you to grab a Bible. If you don't have one, and I, I know you probably got one perhaps on a, a phone or whatever, but also to encourage you just to get something, contact us. We'd love to help you um, find one that'll fit um, what you need. Acts chapter 8 is where we are in our story. And something that I really have never focused on before is how at the beginning of Acts chapter 8, it actually wraps up the story of Stephen's death. That's, that's what we looked at last week. And Stephen's story is so powerful. You got, a, you got a man who's willing to die because he so believes in Jesus and just the power of his, of his talk that he gives and uh, they're stoning him and he's still praying. I mean, it's just amazing. I think sometimes what we miss is how at the beginning of chapter 8, it says that godly men buried him and mourned deeply for him. Man, I'm glad that's in there. I'm so glad that's in there. They buried him and they mourned deeply for him. So even though there's this picture of power and these folks are fully filled with the spirit of God, there's still a moment they mourn the loss. I do not know how in the world people can teach that if you follow Jesus that you will never experience pain. That's not what the story reads. Persecution, it tells us, broke out that day. Persecution like the church hadn't seen before. Saul is suddenly appearing on the scene. He is orchestrating an attempt of, of going house to house and dragging men and women literally from their houses to put them in prison. And, and it says that all except the apostles scatter. They leave Jerusalem and they scatter throughout Judea and Samaria. Wait a minute. We've heard that language before. Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, right, you, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and ends of the earth. Acts chapter 8, we start to see those circles get wider and wider. They start in Jerusalem. It moves to Judea. It's moving to Samaria. The word of God keeps going out. The circles of influence get bigger. One such person who scatters is named Philip. And Acts chapter 8 contains much about his story. He goes to Samaria. He shares the good news of Jesus in Samaria. Miracles happen, and it says there is rejoicing. But I want to pick it up with an interesting thing that Philip encounters. Verse 9 of Acts chapter 8. Here's how it reads. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had practiced, check it out, sorcery. 
He had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. Simon is familiar with the miraculous. Simon is familiar with supernatural power. But in this particular case, we're not talking about supernatural power from God. We're talking about supernatural power from the dark forces. This is sorcery. Jeff, do you really believe that? Uh Uh-huh. I absolutely do. Now, I'm going to tell you, and I would advise you, you don't need to go looking for it. But when you follow Jesus and when you experience a life that is filled with the, with the presence of God, you will find an enemy who fights back. I'm not sure that most people live life believing that truth. I'm not sure that most people are aware of such power. One of the places that um, I got to visit last week is this little place way up in Montana called Glacier National Park. And man, is it beautiful. Um, We were only about 50 miles from the Canada border. It is way up there. On one occasion, um, I'm walking this little trail, little trail that leads down to uh, a stream, you could hear the stream before you actually get to the little bridge. And so it's, it's a wooded area. There's brush. It's fairly thick. I, I walk down to the stream. I stand on the bridge and look at the stream for a little bit. And then I begin to make my way back. It wasn't very far. And I hear snap, snap. And I had read enough to know that when you hear snap in Glacier, it usually means one thing. And sure enough, as I strain to look down through the the trees, I'm standing on the path and I'm looking down through the trees, I see brown and it's moving my direction. And as I'm watching him move directly up the hill and it's it's brushy, but you you can see it happening. Um, Let's just say I moved. I moved down the path a little bit, and you're going to have to trust me on this one because I'm standing in the bushes because I don't want to be seen. And I'm trying to snap this with my phone sticking out over the deal, and I'd just like you to know he's not black, which in Glacier only leaves one option. He's a grizzly. And I'm sorry that it's blurry, but I really don't care. Because I didn't want him to see me clearly. You know what I'm saying? It, it was amazing to me. Now, now I have honestly known for a long time that, that there are bears in Glacier. I had read all the stuff, and right now there's this whole bear-aware thing going on in Yellowstone and everything else. Apparently, the bears are going nuts. There's signs everywhere. You're reading everything about it. I I was fully aware. I bought my bear spray, although I'm going to admit to you at this moment, I did not have it with me. (laughs) But this experience kind of brought to life, this danger is real. It's very present. In fact, it was much closer than I realized. And after I watched him move across the very trail that I had just walked over twice, and I watched him move on up the hill and clear, and then I decided to get out of there, I watched back at the parking lot as people exited that trail. And I'm thinking, they have no idea what just crossed their path. They have no idea what just put a a foot on the very path that they are walking on. And you know what? I, I think 
Too many times that may be the perspective that many people have regarding the powers of darkness. It's like we, we read the information that is real, but, but we don't understand how present it, it is often so unrealized, unrecognized, until suddenly here it is in our path and there is this wow moment. I'm talking about something more deadly than a grizzly. You're like, Jeff, yeah, but a grizzly, man, he can kill you. I know, but he can't kill my soul. And the power we're talking about here is about destroying souls. Simon played with such power. He dealt in sorcery. For a long time in Samaria, he amazed people with this supernatural power. A result is he claimed to be great, and the people actually attributed greatness to him. But I want you to watch what happens in this story. Remember, Philip is preaching the good news of Jesus, and this is what it says in verse 13. Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished, that's that same word, amazing, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. The one who was amazing people is now amazed. Now, what happens is word gets back to Jerusalem. That's kind of home church. That Philip has gone to Samaria. He's preached the good news of Jesus and people are believing. Well, they got to find out if this is for real. And so they send the big guns. They send Peter and John. And they're like, you need to get to Samaria. Let, let's find out what's really happening there. And I, t I gave you this story several weeks back, so I'm not going to give you the whole uh, picture today. I think God uses an order here where it says these people believe, but then after Peter and John arrive, they put hands on the people and God's spirit fills the people and God does it so that the Jerusalem church will know this good news really is for all people and just like it had happened to them in Jerusalem, God's also doing it in Samaria. The church is really one. Now I want you to pick up the story in verse 18. When Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, rut row, and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for such a thought in your heart, for, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. I'm going to admit to you that when I left, I did not intend to teach this part of the story, but along the way, it was one of those things where God said, yeah, I want you to teach it. I need to tell you today, and I need you to realize today, there is a belief, there is a faith that is not saving faith. Now, I want you to get that, because in this story, it says that, it says that Simon believed and he was baptized. But what we find by the end of the story, his heart is not right. Philip recognizes he still needs to repent and he is still enslaved to sin. And that would be confirmed by really the tradition of the entire um, early church that, that tells us that Simon went on not to be a true Christian, but actually to be a heretic. Justin Martyr Irenaeus, Jerome, they all verify that truth. Now, I got to tell you, from a pastoral standpoint, there's a little part of me that feels good that, that Philip baptized somebody who wasn't a true believer. Because I have. But you know why I did? And you know why I think Philip did? Because you couldn't tell. 
You couldn't tell. Simon said he believed. He, he wanted to be baptized. He's following along. He appears to be. The same thing at times happens with, with me. You, you, you baptize somebody because you can't tell the heart. You can't tell. Well, one person can. I, I want you to see the evidence from Scripture of what I'm trying to show you here. John chapter 2 is a place where the, the, John records this story that one time while Jesus was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing. You get that? They saw the signs he was performing, and they what? Believed. They believed in his name, or they believed in him. But check this out. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. They saw the wonders and the signs. They say they believe, but Jesus is like, no, you don't. No, you don't. It's consistent with the story that Jesus told uh, uh, about the, uh, about the uh, seeds that fall on different ground in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 13. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They, what? Believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. Let me give you one more because I want you to see this. I'm not making this up. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, here's the way the apostle Paul tells the church at Corinth. Brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. There is a belief that can be in vain. James calls this a dead faith. What is really going on in Simon's heart here? What's this about? Remember, he is an expert in dealing in supernatural power. This is what Simon does. He deals in sorcery. For a long time, he has amazed the people of Samaria with the power when he sees the power that Philip deals, though, suddenly he realizes this power is greater than any power I've been able to, to, to have. He wants to switch sides. But what I want us to understand, what was the object of Simon's faith? The object of his faith was the power of signs and wonders. That's what he was about. And I want us to see amazement at supernatural power is not saving faith. Being amazed at a miracle is not saving faith. Being amazed at things that you can't explain, right? That's not saving faith. That is where Simon's heart was. He was all about things of the supernatural, things of power. That's where he anchored his faith not a faith in Jesus. Let me explain it this way. If you are a, a parent or maybe a grandparent or you've just been around little kids. Now, I'm talking little kids early enough. They're, they're just starting to figure out how things work and understand enough of language, but little kids. And let's, let's imagine that you are, uh, I don't know, you're, you're in the house Pick your room, kitchen, living room, wherever. But there's a window, and suddenly there is something in the window, let's say a beautiful bird. And you say to them, look at the bird. Come on, what does that little person do when you say, look at the bird? Where do they look? They look at your hand. You, 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 you stick out your hand and you point, look at the bird, and they look at your hand. They look at the sign. The sign is pointing to the window of something beautiful, but that little person, they don't yet grasp. You, you literally sometimes have to walk over, right, close enough to finally you scare the bird off because you, you've gotten so close to the window, but you got to get your hand close enough so that they can actually see because they don't look at what you're pointing at. They look at the sign, 
I'm telling you, Philip has stretched out the hand of signs and wonders, but those signs and wonders point to the glory and the greatness of who Jesus is. But Simon won't look at anything except the signs and wonders. He believed in those signs and wonders. He wanted to be able to point like Philip could point. In fact, he would pay money to do that, but he never turned and looked at the window. Amazement at supernatural power is not saving faith. His faith was focused on being amazed and amazed at others, amazing others. Then he's amazed at what Philip is able to do. He just is never amazed at the greatness of Jesus, the Son of God, who dies for sinners risen in power. He has amazement, but Simon has no brokenness of sin, and there's no humble trust in Jesus. And it's clear from Philip's response, there is no repentance and there is no forgiveness. His heart was not right. It's literally a word that means straight. His heart was not straight. In other words, it was crooked. It was crooked. Now, before we move past this, I I want us to recognize a similar principle, I think, that, that floats around for all of us today when we hear this warning about the danger of mishandling the signs and the wonders that point to Jesus, let's be fair and realize it it really applies to every form of, of Christian witness, and here's what I mean. You know why I preach sermons? To point. To point to something far more beautiful than any sermon that I could form. Sermons are preached to point to Jesus. But sometimes you know what happens? All anybody wants to talk about is the fact that I saw a grizzly. And I want to go, I know, but did you see Jesus? You hear what I'm saying? Sometimes it happens with songs. And man, the song is beautiful. And what happens is we walk out and, and what we talk about is, man, how great something sounded and how it moved our emotion. But the song was pointing to something far more beautiful than the song, did you see him, is the question. One of the things I have fought over the years, not against having, but against this very principle, um, from time to time, we will do like programs that our children put on, right? Children put on Christmas programs and that kind of stuff. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm for, I'm for children's programs like I am for sermons and songs and all that, but children will come together and present a, 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 a truth And you know what people walk out talking about? How cute it was. I just want us to recognize the danger that exists and how we can miss what every, all of this is supposed to be pointing to someone far more beautiful than any sermon or song or anything else that we can ever do. But do we choose to see Jesus in all that? And, and I get it, maybe, maybe this would lead us to go, you know what? Uh, the further we go in Acts and, we, and we, we recognize how signs and wonders are, are liable to misuse, maybe we just ought to avoid this whole signs and wonders thing together. I, I mean, maybe we just should not at all focus on the miraculous because of where it could lead us. And I'm going to say No. I don't think that at all is the answer either. Because that's not what Acts chapter 8 looks like, nor the rest of Acts. I'll describe it to you this way. Um, On this little journey, a part of why I wanted to take this little journey with our families, I wanted Nick to see just some of the beauty of, you know, the parks and um, 
the animals and all that cool stuff. And, and um, so um, he um, was kind of looking for a knife, new knife. And I decided, I thought this would be a cool time to get him a new knife that would be something that was useful and yet something he could keep and remember, right, us making the journey together. And so he picked, he, we went in this store and uh, he immediately saw this one and it's, it's, it's designed by some dude there. It's got um, elk antlers and walnut on the handle. Um, it's a Damascus blade, which always has the cool, cool design on it. And so we're just looking. There are prices on none of this stuff. You know how that works? And so obviously we liked the, he liked the bear and just liked the design. It was pretty cool. And when we found out the price, he was like, yeah, that's, not, that's just too much. I mean, he's thinking small little knife. And it's not ridiculous because you can pay you can pay thousands of dollars for knives. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about here, but it's more than we're accustomed to. And uh, it made me want to get it for him even more. You know what I mean? When, when he goes, Dad, that's too much. It's just when you're a dad, you're like, I think I, that's what I'm going to do. So once I got rid of him, I went back in and I got it. And it's his knife now that, you know, he can keep. It really is pretty. And maybe you're thinking, dude, knives are dangerous. Like, why would you buy your son a knife? Like, he, he can cut himself with, with the knife, and he's well aware of that, and we have that conversation. But would you not agree with me that when you know how to handle one, they are quite useful for things like preparing food. Can you imagine preparing many meals without a knife? Right? And so we go, well, the knife is dangerous. It might cut. Let's just get rid of all knives. No, let's actually learn how to appropriately handle the knife because, man, this thing literally can make life much, much better for you if you know what to actually do with it. And I'm saying when we read the book of Acts, that ought to be exactly how we see signs and wonders. Yes, it it can lead you to a place that is dangerous. It can lead you to a place to totally miss what, what all of it is about. But once we understand how God appropriately gives signs and wonders and how they point to him, this makes life so incredibly beautiful. All we have to do is read the next part of the story, right? Philip continues uh, to have an experience here. Look at verse 26. Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. We got a supernatural act happening here where the spirit of God is communicating to Philip, go there. Go there. He's going to encounter a man who has traveled more than 500 miles, which in that day I think would probably make 4,000 for us feel silly and small. But a man who has traveled more than 500 miles because he's searching for God He's, he's left Ethiopia. He's come to Jerusalem. God is drawing this man's heart to God. And so he says to Philip, go. And I, I imagine Philip maybe being a little bit like Abraham was when God told Abraham to go because Abraham did not have the whole story. Like he didn't know all that God was up to. God said, go, Abraham goes. I kind of picture that with Philip here. Like, Philip doesn't fully know what, what, what all is going to happen here. He just goes. Check out the, uh, uh, verse 29. The Spirit next tells Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. The, the, the Ethiopian, he was in a chariot, we're told. Now, the word for chariot really could mean one of those. You ever seen in the movies where they got the poles and the the like little hut on the poles or the seat on the poles and they care. That really might be what this word is. It's hard to tell whether it's what we think about with chariots or whether it's something that they carried. Either way, it's a long journey. This man is royalty. He is connected to royalty. He has much power. 
He has much influence. And God's spirit has just said to Philip, go to him. I I wonder if Philip is thinking, how is this going to turn out? What am I going to say to him? But when Philip gets to the chariot, check this out. The man is reading scripture. He's reading scripture. He's reading Isaiah chapter 53, which in part reads like this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. (laughs) And the man turns to Philip and goes, what does that mean? And Philip tells him about Jesus, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. The Ethiopian believes, he believes they come to some water, it says, and he's like, why shouldn't I be baptized? So they stop and he's baptized. God is not only demonstrating an incredible love for a man that most people would say doesn't belong in the kingdom of God. And I could give you numerous reasons that we just don't have time to unpack today why people would say he is one who is far away he has, and God's going, no, this is for all people. But not only is God demonstrating love for him, but I believe God is also orchestrating the evangelization of Ethiopia. Uh, again, some of the um, early church writers, uh, Irenaeus, for example, wrote in the second century that this Ethiopian became a missionary to his people. How'd that happen? God said, go. Check this out, verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. He's gone. Okay, I'd call that supernatural. That would be weird. That would be freaky. He's gone. The Lord suddenly took him away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Can you imagine what that, should we call it a little miracle? That that he's just suddenly gone. Can you imagine just how God used that together, encouraged his heart, he goes back to his people, and he's sharing the good news of Jesus. Why does God give us stories like this? I believe certainly in part it is to show us how the Holy Spirit is always the key to fulfilling the mission. Always. The Holy Spirit is always at work and sometimes he allows us to see some of the supernatural working that is going on. That's what happens in this moment. Philip, go to the road. Philip, go up to the chariot, right? Philip, disappear, right? Sometimes God will do some supernatural things that he allows our eyes to see so that we know in all the occasions that we can't see, he's still working. This is how he operates. This is the power of the Holy Spirit always going before us, always stirring the hearts of people, always drawing them to Jesus. He sometimes lets us experience the miraculous so that we know he's always doing the miraculous even when we can't see it. I've experienced a few of those from time to time. Some of you could tell stories too. I remember a number of years ago when my wife's grandmother was passing away. And I'm telling you, as clear as I know how to say it was clear, God was saying, I want you to go to her. I want you to go to her. Now, she, I don't believe was a believer had experienced some really hard things in her life, some hurtful things. Not that she did, but that was done to her. And I think all of that just wrapped up in a real struggle to believe in God, at least to surrender to him. On top of that, she's unconscious at this point. And we were pretty much 
Um, I think we were still in, I think I was still in seminary, which let me translate, poor. We got no money, very little. She's halfway across the country. We got a ticket and we went, because I'm telling you, it was like God was saying go. We arrived, and the next day she woke up. And for one day she was awake. And I went into that hospital room, and I said to her, I'm here because I love you and because God loves you and I believe God told me to come here to tell you one more time how much Jesus loves you. Y'all, she turned away from me and looked out the window. She couldn't speak. She had, you know, stuff on and she couldn't speak, but she was alert. And I just reiterated the fact that that's okay. I understood the hurt in her life. But this was a moment that she just needed to hear, and I I was going to tell her one more time. And one more time, I unpacked the gospel for her about a Jesus who died for sin and rose from the dead. And y'all, she slowly, she slowly turned her head back toward me. And in the end, we had a conversation by her squeezing my hand. And I just walked her through what it meant to let go and a trust in a Jesus. And I, I believe on that day, the best I know, that she opened her heart and she put her trust in him. When I remember that story, I am reminded that God is always doing that kind of stuff all around us all the time. He just let me see one that way so that in all the ones that I can't see that way, I still know that he's working bigger than I can imagine. First time I ever stepped on China soil, I thought I was there to look about us opening a shelter. And a shelter did open eventually there. But what happened to me on that journey was we ended up in a hospital where there was a whole wing of AIDS patients, which in that particular part of the world, they were just sort of pushed aside. It was like, let's put them in here so that Nobody has to pay attention to them. And the people that we were actually there with who were not believers would actually go visit the hospital and they would bring bags of oranges and different kinds of fruit and just check on them. And so they let us in. We go in the wing of this hospital and and, um, suddenly, somehow, word gets out that I'm a preacher and that I'll pray for them. And the next thing I know, there are nurses coming up to us go, hey, can you go to room seven? They're not doing it in English, obviously. There's translation, go, hey, can you get to room seven? Because somebody wants you to pray for them. And can you get to room four? Because somebody wants you to pray for them. I walk in a certain room, and there's a lady laying on the bed, and there is a Bible laying on that bed. That is not what you expect to see anywhere in China. And as I begin to have a conversation with her, I asked her, what is this Bible for? Like, where did you, what is this? And her response was, somebody gave it to her. She had been reading it. She now understood who Jesus was, and she's just been waiting for somebody to come tell her how to become a Jesus follower. We prayed, and she gave her life to Jesus that day. Just in case you think Jesus doesn't care about you, I'm telling you, he will cross continents and oceans. In fact, he will die. He will die so that he could rise to get to you. Maybe today is a part of that story for you. Maybe today is a part of that where you need to hear about a Jesus who loves you. And today he's saying to you, I want you to come to me. Mm. I definitely believe that there are moments that God does miracles as he wants his word spread. 
but I want you to see one more thing before we finish. And this is big. Verse 25. When Peter and John came and they saw that the Samaritans really were believers, right? But then they leave. Here's what it says. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. Watch the next line. Preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. Now, can we just admit that most of the time when we read this text, that's like one of the boring verses? You know what we call those sometimes? Transition verses. It's a transition verse. They were in Samaria. They saw what had happened there. They preached the gospel, and then they go back to Jerusalem, and we go, that's a transition verse. You know what I'm reading? Anybody wonder whether one of these days we're going to get to heaven? And there are some people who lived in some Samaritan villages in the middle of nowhere who are going to tell us a story about how Peter and John just happened to stop at their village and preach the good news on the way. They just happened to stop and tell them who Jesus is on the way. And you know what I'm noticing? Nowhere here does it say that the Holy Spirit said, stop at these villages. You know what I'm saying? There's no, there no, it doesn't seem to be a miraculous communication of, hey, stop here and do this. They, they just do that. Let me show you, verse 40. After Philip baptizes the Ethiopian, and it says he disappeared, check out what it says in verse 40. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Same pattern. He shows up in Azotus, he's headed towards Caesarea, but along the way, what does he do? Just on the way, he's preaching from town to town and village to village. Why does he do that? Because that's what he does. And in this particular case, this is where he is. And Philip knows the Holy Spirit's always working. Yeah, sometimes he gives you a miracle and he makes you show up at a chariot and this, you know, the, the miracle unfolds. But, but Philip knows he doesn't need the Holy Spirit to always tell him to share. This is what he knows he's supposed to do. And so wherever he is, he's sharing. They already know what they're about. Because Jesus already defined for them what they were about. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. This is what you do. This is who you are. Some of you are saying, I know, but Jeff, this is the apostles and and these are deacons. All right, that's why I got one more verse for you. We got to go all the way back to verse four. Remember how persecution broke out? Check out what it says in verse four. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now, we're already told that wasn't the apostles because the apostles were still in Jerusalem. So in other words, all the other believers, wherever they were pushed, they're sharing the good news of Jesus. Wherever they go, they are speaking of who he is. That is the evidence of those who have a true faith in Jesus, those who truly belong to him. I I want you to see this. It was never a question of what do I do. Never. Never are they asking, what should I be doing here? They already know what they're supposed to be doing because Jesus said, you're my witnesses. Wherever you go, you testify to this truth. They always know what they're supposed to do. The only question is, where? (laughs) And sometimes the Holy Spirit would specifically say, go there. But when he didn't, they just shared everywhere they were. You see, sometimes the Holy Spirit would say, go there and share. That's what they would do. But when the Holy Spirit wasn't saying, go here, go there, they just shared wherever they were because that is what dominated their hearts. This is now who they are. I am afraid 
that the church has sort of turned this view of what it means to follow Jesus into sort of, I'm going to do life and I'm going to trust that Jesus is going to interrupt me if he wants me to do something. I'm going to do life, I'm going to go about my life and if Jesus really wants me to go to the road to Gaza, then he's going he's gonna to do something that, 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 that he will turn the light on. And we just sort of do life waiting for him to turn the light on, and, and the rest of the time the light is off. Holy Spirit in the lives of those in which he lives is always on. And I am reminding you today that life is not about you thinking that somehow we walk around, right, with the light off and then when God wants to really do something, no, I'm reminding you today, there is no on-off switch. This life that is alive in you, this, this one who holds all power, he is always on, he is always at work, and he is wanting us to join him. Sometimes he specifically says, go here. But I have discovered that most of the time, he is simply saying, Wherever you are, as I am with you, do what you know I have told you to do. Just speak of Jesus. I'm admitting to you, man, I, God needs to do some of this stuff in my heart. I, I, God, God needs to ignite some of this stuff in my heart that, that it's not about this hit and miss here or there, but th this is a life of the light turned on that he has called us to share wherever we are. And man, once you start looking, it is amazing how many opportunities God gives you. It's like, Jeff, you can't just go around telling everybody about Jesus. They did. They did. It's like, but some of those people are going to get mad at you. I think that's the story we're reading. But this is who you are. This is who lives in you. As I've been processing this over this last week and God's stirring this stuff in my heart, I'm like, wherever you are, wherever you are, I am in Wyoming. I'm in this restaurant, and one of the waitresses there, I noticed, had a shirt that had a scripture verse on it. And so when I went up to the counter to pay, um, I, I simply made the statement. I said, I, I really, I like your shirt. And she said, thank you. I said, you believe that? She said, I do. I said, so do I. And her coworker standing right next to her said, what's on your shirt? And I looked at her and I said, can you tell her? She said, yes, I can. I mean, like sometimes it is so incredibly simple. My question is, do we wake up every day expecting that the Holy Spirit of God on this day is orchestrating things to change people's lives forever and we get to join him in that, if that's not how we're waking up every day, maybe we need to get on our knees and say, God, would you ignite that life in me? And maybe for some of us, the question today is, is the faith that you claim a saving faith? Or has your focus been on church stuff? Maybe even the miraculous. 
My question is, have you seen Jesus? Have you seen Jesus? And do you know how beautiful he is and how he loves you? In a minute, we're going to sing a couple of songs. The songs are not to be sung so that you and I in the end can go, man, that sounded good. Can I just invite us during this opportunity to let's be God's kids who run toward him. And maybe there needs to be some stuff happen across this room, across whatever room you are in today. Maybe you're at home. Um, Maybe it's just your family. Maybe this needs to be a time where your family, maybe together, calls out to Jesus and, and ask him to be the center of your life. Maybe this needs to be where your family, there in your home, maybe there's somebody that God does love and he's put you in that path and today you're just maybe together gonna go, God, will you help us to be bold? You know, sometimes we wait way too long to actually speak about Jesus. I'm all for building relationships. I'm all for building trust with people, but sometimes we wait too long. How about today, we the church hit our knees? How about today, we the church go before our God and say, will you make us bold? Will you help us be who you've called us to be? I'm gonna be over here on this side. There are people available at each location today. I I wanna encourage us, let's do something with what God has put before us today. God, will you help us? God, will you help us? God, we acknowledge that we need you. God, there are some in this room who need to turn their life to you for the very first time. There are some who are listening in, need to give their life to you for the very first time. God, will you give us courage to run to you? God, there are some of us that are dealing with a faith that is not centered in you. God, today will you give us courage to do something about that? God, I pray for your church. God, give us a passion for the people around us the people who do not yet know you, God, in, in this moment, would you loosen, God, the grip on, on, our, on our fear, on our pride? God, would you make us a people who will run to you with everything that we have saying, God, we want you. We want you to be known in every heart. God, you give us the privilege of pointing toward you, God, May they see how great you are, God. May we see how great you are today, God. We need you. We need you. It's in the name of Jesus that I ask it. Amen. If you want to sing, you can sing. If you want to pray, you can pray. Maybe you need to find somebody here today to pray with. Again, we'll be available. We'd be honored to do so. Let's don't just walk away. Let's be his people.